morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 118 of So What's Been Happening on a Monday, the 13th of November. 13th. Lucky number for some, unlucky for others. But it's a night all about Matt Malone and the Holy Spirits. So I look forward to this chat uh, shortly with Matt. And thanks to Chris Hamilton, uh, Hamilton sorry, for uh, hooking up this chat again. Uh, he's been very generous with his suite of artists that he represents Um from a publicity point of view uh so he's been very gracious in uh passing on his whole book almost to us uh to have a chat to so thanks again to chris um all right a couple of gigs just to have a chat about uh in the next couple of days just to whet your appetite a little bit um make sure you get across to the drunken poet tomorrow night with uh, a good friend of the show joyce pressure wine whiskey and women uh they're calling it so um an hour with joyce pressure uh, is a special one super folky uh, style there and then off to George Lane um, possibly Thursday night this is a release of a new mural and opening uh, which has been inspired by G Flip's first single uh, being a local St Kilda girl so make sure you get down to um, George Lane, Delsinki and Brooke Taylor are going to open this so this is a pretty special one it's quite early I think it's about a 5.30 start 6 o'clock so it'd be right just as the work Traffic kind of kicks off. Um, and then Friday, two gigs for Friday, two choices. You got uh, off to Brunswick Ballroom for Ash Naylor. Uh, this is a great release. He's got his second uh, instrumental album played uh, called Spaceship. This will be a cracker. Uh, anyone that's familiar with Ash Naylor and his multitude of bands, uh, including the church even, um, and a few others. So uh, Paul Kelly, uh, he's been plenty Rockwiz man. So there's plenty uh, Ash Naylor. He's around for so another one um if ash isn't for you on that side of town you can head back to george lane for luke sinclair set another show favorite um and sean mcmahon that's doing a uh, a dual set between those guys so uh, make sure you get down to that one uh it's a nice nice cheap one 20 bucks can't lose um and then just promoting uh, album of the week for us uh, is a brand new release from al maccott his debut album so here it is um summer's coming uh, great looking album cover and uh, one you can't miss for sure. Um, and then uh, there's Mel, our Al, sorry, uh, our promoting. So uh, we're going to try and catch up with Al Matcott in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then a show we've got coming up uh, tomorrow night, St. Victoire. Uh, that'll be a good one. Um, she's doing some awesome things. So we'll have a chat to her tomorrow. But tonight it's all about Matt Malone. So we're going to have a chat to Matt right now, um, bring him up and uh see what's happening on his little musical journey welcome uh to episode 118 matt welcome how you going aaron thanks for having me no problems on a uh on a quiet tuesday monday night sorry um what else would you be doing normally on a monday night mate other than uh just relaxing after a weekend uh usually be getting some reading done or trying to organize my radio program for tomorrow night yep so yeah Mondays are usually a big catch-up day for me after the weekends. Um, Mondays are usually really busy for me, so yep. I slotted you in, mate. Beautiful. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, Thanks for having me. Of, this is one we've been had in the making for a little while, uh, trying yeah. to get it together, and uh, I really appreciate you accommodating me, um, and, and we can join forces for a half an hour, an hour in, in amongst this chat, mate, and look forward to uh, finding out a little bit about your journey. Um, let's sure. let's kick off with... Uh, Give the radio station a plug, mate. Give us your give us your radio show and when it's on and how people can jump on and hear it. Um, so my I've been doing my radio show now for uh, 
over a decade, um, up to um, over 500 shows now. Um, and it's every Tuesday from 8 till 10 p.m. on 99.9 FM. You can listen to it online on, you know, iHeartRadio, online radio box, all those kind of spots. Um, and interviewed a lot of different people over the years, perhaps not dissimilar to yourself, Aaron. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been, you know, it's, it's a pain in the ass for me, actually, honestly, going up from Melbourne every week to do it in Mm -hmm. person, because there's something about it for me. I like to do it actually in, in the studio live rather than dialing it in and doing a pre-record. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, look, I really enjoy it. I get like a free-for-all to play whatever kind of music I want and to kind of talk to whoever I want. Um, you know, I've spoken to a lot of great musicians over the years. Yeah, nice. What's the t- title of your show, mate? You got uh, it's called Hell or High Water. Beautiful. Very uh, Hell or High Water radio show, 8 till 10 p.m. every Tuesday evening on 99.9 Voice FM. There you go. If that's not a great also, <laughs> of course, uh, I'll go hey, but... Uh, one thing I've definitely noticed in, in your music that I've only kind of recently come across, to be perfectly honest, Matt, I said I was uh, a new fan of yours, which um, won't be the last time, um, that's for sure. And it was a great listen, the first listen. Talk about a, a real nice, bellowy, deep, bassy voice, mate. I, I love it. Um, has that always been your singing kind of uh, sweet spot? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, I'm self-taught singer as you can yep. probably hear. And, uh, and um, yeah, it's just, um, I, I think uh, you don't really have a choice what the timbre of your voice is. You know, you kind of kind of just follow where, um, where your voice kind of takes you, I guess. Yep. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's how it's, that's kind of what I am, I guess, kind of a, a baritone, I guess, yeah. Yeah, sure. And you're... Uh... First memory of music, mate. Where where were you? Where'd you grow up? Um, and what was kind of playing in the house or or down the street? Um, so I grew up in in Creswick. It's about uh, ten or fifteen minutes out of out of Ballarat. You've ever been there, Aaron? I haven't actually. No. Yeah, okay. Been to Ballarat mm-hmm. plenty of times, but never to Creswick. Yeah. So Creswick was kind of an outlier of the gold rush kind of era in the nineteenth um, century. Um, and a lot of famous kind of uh, luminaries from Creswick, like uh, John Curtin, a great Labor World War II Prime Minister, and uh, the artist Norman Lindsay was from um, Creswick as well. Um, and so my my childhood and where I grew up, I grew up in a small country town, and it was a pretty, um, you know, kind of classic Australian working-class blue-collar uh, kind of environment and setting. Lots of um, AFL football, uh, Bush, mm. and mostly on the radio for me was, you know, what my old man listened to, which was, you know, ACDC and Cold Chisel really were kind of the staples of my my really early youth. But um, the first music that really – I love Chisel and ACDC, by the way, but the first music that really hit home for me was um, I was a very small boy um, – and going out to visit my pop, my great-grandfather, um, on his uh, farm. He was in his 90s at this stage. And he had a kind of an old piano as you walked into his 
his little um, mining cottage. And above the piano, he had two kind of two pictures. One was of who I knew was Christ, and the other one was a, a photograph of a, a slick, black-haired, slicked young man, very handsome. And I remember saying to my pop, I said to him, I know that that's Christ, but who's the other guy? And he said, oh, that's, that's God too, son. That's Elvis Presley. <laughs> and um, so that was kind of one of the first impressions I had of of music that kind of I found kind of mysterious or kind of captured my attention. Mm-hmm. And in my childhood, I used to try and um, skip school, even in primary school, um, to watch the midday movie of Elvis Presley. And um, the first um, movie of his that really struck me was Jailhouse Rock. There was just something about, you know, when you like, oh, what was it, six or seven or something, there was something so electric on that screen in the black and white of this young man singing that particular song that really just kind of um, just really was like electric current coming out of the TV into my little body and it kind of shook me alive. Um, And that was, that was a pretty, um, pretty important moment. I think for me in retrospect, going on to become, you know, a very big Elvis Presley fan over the years. Um, um, do you want me to continue with this kind of musical yeah, story? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then um, it was probably in my eight, nine, ten years old ish around that time, um, kicking footies around the you know around the neighbourhood and stuff, um, going out in bikes out in the bush, um, terrorising the native wildlife as you do as a young man with your your other lads, um, and uh, there was an older um, brother to a mate of mine that lived down the street. And we used to, as I say, kick the footy around and he had a cassette deck and he used to um, create these mixtapes that he had kind of culled from um, Triple J airwaves in the early 90s when Triple J was actually good um, because it has turned to shit over the last kind of 10 or 15 years, if I may say that. and there was a lot of great alternative uh, rock and punk and metal and stuff that they were playing at that time. Um, and I remember, you know, you'd hear it on the um, on his cassette deck. He'd have, you know, bands like um, Alice in Chains and, uh, you know, um, Sonic Youth, the Pixies, the Melvins, Mudhoney, uh, all that kind of Seattle grunge stuff that was going around that was kind of coming out of these speakers. And it was kind of my first exposure to um, alternative rock, as it were. And he made me, I said to him, can you make me a, a two cassette tapes of like two bands that you think that I should listen to? And the two cassette tapes he made was one was of a band called um, Nirvana and the other one was of a band called Metallica. And I remember um, listening to those tapes exhaustively and um, they kind of set me on two different kind of paths in my kind of later, as I was just coming into my teenage years. So Nirvana kind of got me heavily into, you know, as I mentioned before, Sonic Youth and stuff and uh, Meat Puppets and exploring um, a lot of kind of the American underground, as it were. And then Metallica kind of set me on the path of kind of more metal and heavy metal and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And as I went into high school, 
I kind of gave away more of the alternative rock stuff and became like a full-on metalhead. Yep. I was obsessed with Danzig, which I, I'm still a huge Glenn Danzig fan. Um, uh, Slayer I got into, who are still yep. one of my all-time favourite bands. I absolutely fucking love Slayer. I yep. always will. Yep. Um, and Morbid Angel and these types of bands. But the, the scene that really got it for me, which was kind of coming out of the mid-90s into the late 90s, uh, was the Norwegian black metal movement. Um, I really identified with the sound and the aesthetic and the um, the beauty and the poetry and the mythology of um, Norwegian black metal, uh, particularly bands like Dark Throne, Emperor, um, Birdsum, of which I'm still a big fan of Birdsum's music. I know he's very controversial in his politics, but musically for me he'll always be a kind of a, a go back to kind of artist yep. and um, mayhem. I got really into mayhem a lot. Um, but as I kind of went through that mid teen period, I went into like 16, 17, 18. And um, I was always watching rage on uh, late night TV on a Saturday night being guest program. I watched that pretty much from, you know, age eight right through to my early twenties because growing up in a place like Creswick, it's like there really wasn't many people around that were into alternative um, culture or music or anything kind of interesting. You kind of, I felt very isolated. I felt like a real outsider in my childhood, in my teen years. And Rage was kind of like this um, uh, portal into another kind of dimension. On a Saturday night, you could go into this other space where you could escape into these playlists by these amazing guest programmers. And one night, um, Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth was was on there mm-hmm. and uh, he played a track from an Australian artist. Um, this particular video was up against a white wall, kind of grainy. Um, and once again, he had kind of slicked black hair too, kind of longer though. And... Um, he had these great lyrics that really it was once again one of those Elvis Presley moments for me. It was like that electrical current coming through the TV screen into my teen body. Yeah. And he's saying, um, I ain't down here for your money. I ain't down here for your love. I'm down here for your soul. And um, that really struck it hard for me. And that was Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, of course. Mm-hmm. And then Nick Cave became like a gateway drug into artists like Leonard Cohen. Johnny Cash, Tom Waits, Bob Dylan, um, these types of artists, and also into kind of literature that I got really into at the time, like Dostoevsky and, um, uh, you know, and reading the Bible and all these types of stuff that I got into at that particular time. And that also led to getting into the doors and stuff in my early 20s. And Jim Morrison had a huge impact on me. Um, Yeah. for quite a number of years as well. But I think the other thing I really got out of Nick too was that it it really uh, introduced me to um, the Australian artists that have had such a huge impact on me, like Roland Howard, uh, The Birthday Party, uh, Kim Salmon and the Surrealists, The Beasts of Bourbon, Tex Perkins, Don Walker, uh, Chrissy Amphlett, all of these great Australian artists that I've even had the pleasure of sharing the stage with, with, which for me as a just a country boy, as it were, 
yeah. um, has been kind of a dream come true over the years. Yeah, not bad from a from a local little kid. Uh, in he, you know, trying to feel his way out of Creswick. Um, not That's a right. yeah, what, what a great journey uh, after all, and incredible amount of influences from such diverse uh, music categories. So talk about uh, well versed, mate, in the in the music scene yeah. and influenced. Um, so where it all comes together to become uh, to become this Matt Malone and the Holy Spirits. Um, it's a pretty pretty deep name it's uh it's really cool man um and and yeah yeah i really like the the whole feel of of kind of what you got going at the, on at the moment um has what was the first first instrument for you you picked up was it the guitar and and did it did it stay that way always um no the first instrument i wanted to play guitar when i got into high school um but uh, we weren't allowed to play guitars because rock and roll and stuff wasn't really encouraged as a path a musical path in high school it was more you had to be in a jazz band or a brass band or a classical kind of ensemble and i love jazz i love coltrane and ornette coleman and i love classical music a great deal i'm a huge fan of maria callas for example the opera singer she's one of my favorite singers of all time but you know as a young man i wasn't i really wanted to play metal and punk rock you know um, and the only instrument that I was allowed to play that was close to that was uh, the bass guitar. So I played bass um, all the way through my teens in a variety of, of bands. Um, and there was one band I played in, we kind of sounded a bit like the Smashing Pumpkins mixed with like Sonic Youth and the Melvins kind of style. Um, what was that? What was the name of that band? Uh, it was first called Empathy. Yeah. Um, it was from, I actually named it, after Kurt Cobain's suicide note, uh, at the end of his suicide note, it says, peace, love, empathy, Kurt Cobain. And then he, you know, that's yeah. kind of his last, and I thought empathy is a cool name. You know, this is like 13, 14 year old. Yeah, kid, yeah. You know? yeah. um, and I was in um, another band with a bunch of metalheads and we used to play Metallica, Slayer, Misfits, uh, Danzig, that kind of stuff. And I just played, played bass. Um, and my favorite bass players at the time were um, Cliff Burton of Metallica. So I had like a big muff pedal and I had a wah-wah pedal and I used to kind of go crazy on that and play heaps of notes and go mental. Um, and I loved Geezer Butler too from, um, from Black Sabbath. Um, so my bass style at the time was really influenced by, by those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went on to, playing guitar in kind of my early teens, I mean, sorry, my early 20s, um, just out of a necessity for the fact that, you know, I, I felt like I need, I wanted to write songs or maybe perform at some stage, and I felt like guitar was a better, uh, more utilitarian uh, instrument to be able to do that with. Um, but completely self-taught, I've never been taught a chord or a note um, or how to play anything. Uh, how I learned how to play guitar was, um, excuse me, um, was from listening to Johnny Cash records and learning Johnny Cash songs. That was how I learnt chords and how to kind of play guitar. And then I learnt some riffs and a general kind of way to feel through the guitar through um, trying to emulate John Lee Hooker and his mm-hmm. kind of blues, kind of really dirgy kind of style. And the other one that I learnt a lot 
about from guitar from was um was Lou Reed and I used to sit with um the kind of bootleg Velvet Underground records and I used to jam along with my amp so I'd have the um the boot the Velvet Underground on like maximum volume then I'd have my amp plugged in and I would jam along with with the Velvet Underground and play kind of like noise um guitar with trying to copy Lou Reed so they were kind of the three cash John Lee Hooker and Lou Reed were kind of the three people that taught me how to play guitar, I guess. Yeah, well, not, not bad influences to, uh, to <laughs> surround yourself with uh, three, three of, you know, arguably some of the best there for sure um, and, and unique styles in, in themselves. So, um, yeah. all right, before we go on and talk about uh, the album, the album that, uh, for, for the term of, our, of my natural life, the, uh, the clip as well, um, we're going we're gonna to get you to play something, mate, uh, live. Okay. Um. Is there any song that you is a favorite of yours from the record, Aaron? Uh no, I'm gonna throw it back to just throw it back to you, mate, to to, to surprise me. All right. Um I think this is one that uh, audience members have enjoyed over the shows we've done this year. Um, it's the second track on the, on the album and it was really kind of, um, like, uh, it's structure and it's, um, it's kind of message or it's melody was influenced by, um, my love for Mel Haggard and Tammy Wynette. And, um, there's a lot of country songs out there that are about breakups, obviously. Mm-hmm. And most of the time breakups are a really bad thing. Um, but in my case and in my personal life, it's been a fucking good thing to break up with some people. And sometimes it's even the best day of your life. So this is called the best day of my life. from the start cause you you lived only for love and I like Romeo I was cross with the stars well I wish that I never We were sooner to part Cause all of the things you did, baby They left me Well, I'm wounded and scarred Because the day day of my life Well the door it slammed 
Well, now I am the best in my life. Now I, I no longer hate you Cause I don't, I don't care for your lies Cause I've only got one life now, babe And I've wasted my own precious time Because the day you lived It was the best day of my life Well, the door it slammed And for said our goodbye Well the day you lived it was the best day of my life Well the And forever we said our goodbye Now I am, well I'm the best in my life Yes, now I am the best in my life, babe Yeah, well done, man. That's cool. Cheers. Very nice. Been a bit of an outpouring uh, of of emotion and and happiness, uh, I guess, in the end. Um, and it, we can't often get to talk about the best the best time and best day of your life. That's for sure. So, um, what was it for you, mate? Relationship breakup, someone, or smashing out some friends that were in the right, you know not part of your life anymore how would that song come together um that song's about an ex-girlfriend two ex-girlfriends i had um i kind of put them into one person and then uh that song kind of came out of it um but yeah there's it's just trying to be honest about um my thoughts and feelings about those particular individuals um i think sometimes in music in general or even in life in general i think a lot of times we're not very honest with ourselves or with other people about what our genuine feelings are or we're not we're almost not privy or we can't express that um and in that song you know 
it's seeing the um the complicated kind of nature of those relationships that there was some good there but you know there's also good in parting ways as well um and and i think for me my favorite lyric in that one is um i no longer hate you i don't care for your lies uh i think i really love that the fact that he's admitting that he actually did hate them though Mm. Uh, because I think so often we won't admit that to ourselves that we hate anything. Yeah. yeah hate's, <laughs> hates, uh, hate's pretty strong. My mother always said, you don't hate anything. Hate's a very strong word, you know. Um, but, uh-huh. yeah, very, uh, I can tell you plenty of things I hated uh, growing up. So uh, you do change your tune a little bit, but you're right. Uh, I don't think we often confront some of those situations um, wholeheartedly and actually you, you really do need to slash slash through that uh, discussion mm. and make a firm decision, not sit on the fence anymore. It's not yeah. 40%, 50% right. It's got to go. Um, and yeah. yeah, I mean, clean start, effectively a clean break. Um, you've gone on to bigger and better things since I'm not sure how long ago that was, but that's irrelevant. Um, it's, it's kind of shown us a lesson for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you always learn from the people in your life that sometimes even people that you meet um, even momentarily um, you can learn so much from um, I think people who are, are unbelievably generous without even perhaps realizing it sometimes and I think um, with your beloved or someone that you've loved in your life the generosity of the knowledge um, and the the ability to understand is so profound um, that I think it always will be a part of you on some level. I think when you love someone truly, I think there's always a part of you that goes with them as a gift. And I think that's part of the tragedy of, of love and romance as well is that um, I think uh, when that person turns out to be a pretty horrible kind of person in some way, I think that's where a lot of the sadness can come from as well. You know, you spend so much time with someone, you, you're so intimate with someone, they know so much about you, um, and yet uh, they treat you so poorly when things yeah. don't go their way, you know? Yeah. I think it's very human. I think we've all experienced that. Absolutely. And I'm not I'm not sure that that old wound ever really totally heals, right? As you said, a little bit of your kind of give feels like it's, gets cut off probably in a good way, bad way, potentially. Um, but it never, ever, that scar kind of still sits there. And, and whether you use it positively in the end uh, to to push you forward and, um, you know, strive for better things, I guess, um, as a person. But you've really got to grow as a person, don't you? It's not, uh, it's not easy, that's for sure, this life journey that we're all on. No, absolutely. Um, and I think... Um... It's really interesting. Like I find it really interesting that um, the people that don't seem to grow and mature. Like I don't think it's an age thing either. Like I've met in my life, I've met 21, 22 year olds that have a lot more maturity than some fifty year olds. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I was watching an interview today with the a, a Russian author called um, Solzhenitsyn. Are you familiar with him? No, I'm not. No. Um, he was. He was a um, Soviet prisoner in the Gulag um, under Joseph Stalin um, after the Russian Revolution. 
and uh, he wrote a series of books about his experience in the in the gulag. And um, I was watching a there's a three hour four hour um, kind of conversation with him on YouTube, and I was watching some of that this afternoon. And um, he got asked by the interviewer, he said, "Do you have, do you think you have an old soul or a young soul?" And Solzhenitsyn kind of looks off in the distance, and he's he's really seriously contemplating it. And he says, oh, I'm not sure that I can answer that question. I don't, I'm not sure if I have an old or a young soul, um, but I know I have a soul. So I, it's, I think for us to even identify um, how old or young we are in our maturity or not in regards to our physical bodies, um, I think that that's kind of irrelevant. I've copped that a lot in my life because I'm not really that uh, old in my body, especially when I was in my 20s and stuff. But um, through reading and kind of some of the experiences that I've been exposed to, I guess I've um, um, I've had this kind of there's been a knowledge there or something that I've been able to impart and help people with in some kind of capacity, you know. And I felt like that's part of the calling in my life um, that I've noticed in my journey, Aaron. Mm. Yeah, it's my uh, you. You're definitely uh, an experienced man and, and you put yourself out there to find out a hell of a lot more about life in general. And, and you've done that through not only through music, but you've done it through so much else uh, in readings and, and finding out what's out there. And not too many people, honestly, pick up the Bible and have an actual read. They happen to listen to it uh, and hear it, but not necessarily actually flick the pages uh, and actually read the content for themselves. Uh, so yeah, that's an interesting one. Is that uh, tell us a little bit about Matt Malone and the Holy Spirits um, and the name and and where that kind of first uh, saw light? The Holy Spirits, you mean? Yeah. Um, so um, for this particular record, I wanted to put together more of an ensemble. Prior to that, I've always kind of just done solo stuff and i've kind of put together a band, maybe just for a tour or something. But for this particular record, I really wanted to bring um a lot more individual voices into the into the fray not just my voice i wanted to have kind of a an ensemble of musicians that i really respected on board um to perform their parts on the on the record and um it kind of the name came out of um i think um my heavy influence from religion and from the Bible and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was interesting. I was talking to um, a, a Catholic about it a while ago, and they didn't like the name because, you know, in the in the Trinity, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit's just singular. And the fact that I pluralized it, um, they weren't happy about it. But um, for me, it's kind of a... Um, it, it's kind of a, a signpost to something um, that hopefully maybe more people investigate. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because uh, the musical world to me is a very secular kind of environment. And um, I don't think a lot of uh, musicians or individuals in this particular environment are very open um, to spiritual matters, you know what I mean? Which is extremely important to me, Aaron. Yeah. yeah, it sounds uh, definitely sounds like it's been one of your influences and big influences, not just from uh, from music, but there's obviously you know uh, all part of a third being, I guess you'd say, uh, outside of music to 
to to come and influence you. So we're going to talk. I'm going to play a little bit about um, or of for for the term of my natural life, um, which is the first track uh, you've released with a clip. Uh, this is a great clip. So I just want to play a bit of this, and then we'll talk about it. Fantastic. mother's only son and I was condemned for a crime I never done cause I was poor and I was so alone and I was not made equal under the Lord Well I am forced to labor you to jump on youtube uh, and have a look for matt malone and the holy spirits and make sure you check out the rest of that clip because it's a ripper mate um well done and congratulations on the song and the album first firstly um but also putting together that great clip it's how important is a clip for you uh to kind of capture the feel and the moment of the album uh for this record it was really important for me to do to do a, a video clip than one that i was happy with um and um, it's been really handy too. I mean, the image behind you and the, the front cover, um, all the images for the record and the, the vinyl release. Yep, that, that image too, the, um, the single covers as well for Natural Life and The Stranger. They've all come from the video clip. Yeah. Um, so it's all kind of tied together really well. That's the album cover, yep. And um, that's been a real bonus for me um, mm -hmm. that it's been able to be that visually rich that's drawn all the images for the record and it's kind of become like a cohesive core uh, imagery wise for everything. Um, the video clip as a, as a concept um, obviously is inspired by the song, which is inspired by the book 
um, by Marcus Clark from the 19th century. Have you read the book, Aaron? No, I haven't, but you've intrigued me to go and um, have a read now. Um, it's, uh, Marcus Clark was a British journalist. Uh, he came over um, during the convict era here in, um, here in Australia, and he was hired um, by British newspapers to um, write about the penal colonies, particularly in Tasmania and in New South Wales, and kind of report back to England about what was kind of going on there, conditions-wise, stories from the prisoners and stuff. And um, he um, kind of put together the, this book for the term of his natural life um, that tells the story of a young man called Rufus Dawes who in England gets convicted of a crime that he didn't commit and gets sent to the penal colonies in Australia and gets kind of um, dealt with very harshly um, by the authorities here and um, is, you know, goes through a lot of suffering and trials and et cetera um, to the tragic conclusion of the text. Um, and I read that during the, um, the COVID lockdown and um, kind of inspired that song and um, I could really relate to the character Rufus Dawes being kind of uh, convicted of a crime that you hadn't actually done. And um, so I put the song together and during the COVID era, I moved back to Ballarat from Melbourne. I live in Preston now and I was living in Preston then. I went back to Ballarat and stayed with my family uh, and, a, and a friend. And um, I was just going for long walks through nature and enjoying the fact that I didn't have the extremity of the lockdowns that were happening down here in Melbourne. Yeah. And... Um, which I assume you would know very well, Aaron. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Enough, that's how this uh, little podcast came together, uh, literally from those kind of conversations. And then spread it, try to spread it a little bit wider because uh, inside that one hour a day, I uh, wasn't cutting it as far as uh, yeah. who you could go for a walk with within your uh, 1K or 2K radius. It was just madness. But, um, yeah, congratulations to you being able to get out, mate, to be honest, and, and experience uh you know you'd seen both sides of it i guess but uh definitely a better uh place for your mental health that was for sure being outside uh metropolitan melbourne oh for sure and it gave me the opportunity to kind of uh location scout for some of these um shots in the in the clip because mm. um, all these all these shots were around kind of around ballarat so um in the start there that's a beautiful waterfall in ballarat called lal lal falls we went there and um, we did some filming there and uh, we did some filming um, at an old abandoned train station up around that area as well. Mm. Um, and also at the end, which you didn't play, um, there's some filming in a um, in the basement of a abandoned uh, old slaughterhouse and it was still, you could kind of still had a dank kind of, smell in there it was kind of all the um the flooring had kind of dissipated in different spots there's bits of planks and wood everywhere lots of beautiful shadows and um and whatever so we filmed the end of the end of the clip in there which was really pretty cool i'm pretty happy with the imagery uh, at the end of the clip in particular but in regards to the um the kind of uh, influences for the the uh video i've always loved um old films um, from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s in particular. Like, I love all those old actresses like um, 
you know, uh, um, Catherine Deneuve and uh, Sophia Loren, and then prior to that, of course, you know, uh, Lauren Bacall and uh, Munro and Rita Hayward. I love all those. And I love all those old films and stuff. So I definitely want to do one in black and white. And I wanted to draw on, um, so like that train station scene is um, influenced by a video clip by the singing brakeman, um, who was one of the first country singers in American music history called Jimmy Rogers. If you jump online to YouTube and you're on a Jimmy Rogers waiting for a train, you'll see it'll come up and it'll kind of be a very similar shot to exactly what we put in the, the clip. I was very adamant about having that as a little signpost to that because I love yeah. Jimmy Rogers so much. Yep. Um, so there was a lot of these types of things that, um, that went into the clip. And I was really lucky to work with a great cinematographer called John, um, John Flores. And um, he's he's got a beautiful eye and he has a great technical kind of ability. Um, but I kind of wrote up the screenplay and scouted out the locations. I came up with the, the shot sheet for the day. It was all filmed in one day. Yeah, um, great. Yeah, uh, put it all together. Uh, he edited John first. I hope you won't mind me saying John, but um, I wasn't happy with the first edit at all, and I went in there and I edited it basically myself. Um, and I think I'm pretty happy with how it turned out, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did the good part to shoot it. Uh, it's not always the, you know, someone's got to have their their take on it, and you kind of very much were, you because know, you planned the shots. I dare say you had a very you know, unique way of how you thought it was going to come together. And that's not always done by someone else. Sometimes it needs the original, uh, you know, um, the original uh, person who come up with it to, to you know, then really to kind of direct it almost. So, um, yeah, well done. Well done to everyone involved in uh, in this shoot. I think it's, um, like you said, it, it captured so much and gave you so much content. I mean, there's endless kind of content and stills and all sorts of things. So uh, I really look forward to you know, having a look through the rest of it. I've seen shots of the rest of the album. Um, but, yeah, it's really cool. So it's a little uh, – it's a seven-track album. Uh, there's plenty of goodness in it. Um, I believe The Stranger is is one of the big hits um, or that people do like. So uh, there was a comment just uh, a little before from uh, Peter Thomas saying Stranger is uh, his pick off the album. So there you go. Hey, um, Pete. Always. Excuse uh, me, Pete. Really appreciate it, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we look forward to uh, spreading the spreading the uh, voice for you, uh, Matt, as much as we can. Ever, ever, if ever you've got anything coming up, uh, please feel free to have a chat. But I just wanted to cover off kind of your songwriting process for you. What, how do you kind of go about it, um, especially in this in this particular album? Has that been any different to what you've done before, or it's kind of the same method you you roll? Um, so, in my um... When I first started writing songs, it was it was really um, really hard. It was really tough. I didn't. The idea of trying to put words and music together just seemed insurmountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure a lot of songwriters, when they start out, perhaps feel the same. Um, but over the years, it's like um, yeah, I think you work out kind of a, a method or a, uh, a way to go about it, and I think it's very individual and unique to every every songwriter. I'm sure being on this program, Aaron, you've probably heard asked that question to quite a few people and everyone's kind of got a bit of a different answer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, 
But I think for me, from my first record, Six, that came out in 2016, um, through to Him Under Her, H, and now this record, Full the Term of My Natural Life, um, there has been some pretty clear threads in regards to the methodology of how I write songs. Um, and it really comes from a very intuitive, kind of inspired space. Um, it's not... Um, I'm not someone who's a labourer over um, songs much. Um, I think there's two schools to songwriting in my in my view. Um, there's the Leonard Cohen school, which is very kind of you labour on it for a couple of years and you eventually put something out that's very perfect and well put together. Um, I'm not like that at all. Uh, and then there's the other school, which is the more Bob Dylan school, which is just very you kind of hammer it all together in like 20 minutes or half an hour or so. Um, and then you just kind of put it out there and just have this belief that in that moment or in the process that something beautiful or profound or worthwhile has kind of come out of it. And I think that's how I've, uh, that's how I kind of write songs is um, I, I might have an idea somewhere looming in my subconscious mind, like for the term of my natural life, you know, there's like a, reading the book or something, there was something about the story that kind of hung in my mind. Um, talking about The Stranger, um, I mean, that's once again about kind of a doomed, failed relationship. Um, and this, you know, this idea and that that particular song of, uh, in my experience, it's talking once again about intimacy and romance and, and relationships. You know, you're with someone for a... Um, a lengthy period of time and uh, without you even perhaps knows, knowing or uh, otherwise, you're kind of blindsided, um, you wake up one day and the person that's laying next to you seems as if it's someone that you don't even know anymore. Like there's a, there's a coldness there, there's a strangeness there. And once they, you know, in that song there's this, um, it kind of plays out in this room, this, this drama, you know, um, um, uh, maybe I should play it for you. But um, that song became, it was just a very inspired song. It came about in about 10, 15, 20 minutes. And all the songs I've written for this record have come together in, in probably less than half an hour. Even a track like Judgment Day, which is a seven-minute song that's very epic, that goes through various epochs in our history, Um and has a very dense kind of poetic structure. I mean, I wrote that in basically half an hour, and it's just kind of coming up with a chord progression to me that sounds sounds good, um, that kind of intuitively seems to lock something in my imagination, and then a, a story will just kind of flow out from that, you know. Mm. Yeah, nice. Very nice. And the recording process for you, um, how long was the recording of this particular album? Um and over, you know, where where did it was was it actually recorded? The recording of this record was a pain in the ass, Aaron. To be honest, <laughs> um, yeah. so I'm right. or just how it came together? Oh, it was just just took forever. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, so I, I kind of wrote the record. Um, it didn't take me that long to write it, you know, as I'm saying. Um, but the recording process, it was like we had a failed attempt at doing a a separate tracking kind of thing of the vocal and the guitar and then trying to overdub everything else. 
And I just don't really work like that. I like to do as much of it live as possible and then only do overdubs if I have to, uh, which means that the musicians that I'm playing with generally have to be pretty well rehearsed as an ensemble. For me, that's there's a certain energy that comes from a more live sounding record that I love, like, um, you know, like I love the the Sun Studio records mm-hmm. with um, Cash and Elvis and Roy Orbison and Hal and Wolf and uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and all these guys. And I mean, in the Sun Studio with Sam Phillips, a lot of the time they were recording around one or two microphones and it was just musicians coming together, playing, and then you just hit record and then you cut the tape, you mm-hmm. do a mix and then it's done. I like that kind of faster, just capturing a moment kind of approach. And um, the overdubbing and the separation between the guitar and the vocal, it just didn't work for me at all. The vocal sounded dead and the guitar playing sounded dead. It was just wasn't working. Um, so we had a second attempt. Um, this was all with my long-time uh, producer, Adam Casey, at True Vine Recording Studios, who I've recorded with from six to this record. Um, and we ended up live-tracking the vocal and the guitar. So that's all live. There's no vocal overdubs or nothing. That's completely live. And the double bass and the electric guitar. So it was all, that was all kind of done live together. And then we had to overdub the drums afterwards and the violin and the pedal steel and stuff. And um, it was a long, protracted, painful birth, Aaron, because of the COVID pandemic and the COVID lockdown. So we get in and record for a couple of days and then there'd be a lockdown for three months. And then we'd have to go back in and try and, um, you know, record another part and then it would be cancelled. And then we'd have to wait another few weeks. And it was just this back and forth. And it was, it really was a, a bit of a nightmare for me personally. It really, um, I found it extremely difficult yeah. because when a recording for me, is kind of still in the water it starts to there's a great quote from william blake where he says um stagnant water breeds reptiles of the mind and there's something about it that it kind of the water starts to poison um and with recording i think that's what happens too at least in my opinion um so it was a really tough record to to put together so i'm really looking forward to in the new year doing some recording, Aaron, that's going to be a, a lot easier. Nice. Lot well, I'm, kind of, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of sensing uh, part of your magic approach really is that you enjoy is that live album uh, or that live setting. So um, who knows, uh, potential long live album uh, from a venue potentially. Uh, who knows? Well, I am gonna, I've done that. I recorded a – so I've done a whole bunch of shows this year and I recorded um, – uh, I've recorded a couple of shows. My bass player, Tony, recorded them. And I was listening to some of them back today. And we are going to put out a live record next year. It's going to be um, Matt Malone, the Holy Spirit's live at the Merry Creek Tavern. Yeah, awesome. Um, and it'll probably be eight or nine songs. And, um, yeah, it's sounding very live, very rough and rowdy, mm. uh, pretty intense. Um, anyone that's come to see us live can attest to the fact that it's a pretty pretty intense kind of live show. I like to get in people's faces as much as possible. Um, my backing singer on the weekend we played in Belgrave, 
And she said to me, Matt, you really were a man possessed tonight. Like you were like a, on another level of kind of um, taking in the, the Holy Spirit, as it were, Aaron, perhaps. Um, the live performance for me is so important. I, I really enjoy it so much. It's a real time for me to exercise my demons, as it were, and sure. to, share, to share some of that energy with the audience. Yeah, yeah. Um... I see from one of your influences or who you've been kind of partially liked to is uh, American, African-American gospel preacher, um, such as Blind Willie Johnson. Uh, tell us a little bit about that kind of feel and influence. Uh, maybe, you know, that that kind of really emo- evoked that emotion of uh, of what they go through in that kind of the gospel singing and how they kind of look possessed in respect of uh, how it comes out and really just grips your body. And that's something that's always interests me. Um, to me, that's kind of how I feel at some uh, some gigs. To be perfectly honest, I feel like I've been transported um, and somewhat kind of possessed for the moment. A lot of the times by guitar, Hendrix was a massive influence for me, and I just um, yeah. he was someone for me that I just thought, wow, this guy's so been so gifted here um, with an incredible talent. But just tell us a little bit about uh, that that part of the influence for you. I love gospel music a great deal, um, and. I love early blues music. I love, you know, Willie Dixon, John Lee Hooker, Helen Wolf, all those guys. Yeah. Um, they've they've kind of changed my musical DNA. And I listen to so much blues and gospel music. It's um, you know, it's it's crazy how much I listen to. Um, and I love Mahalia Jackson. She's one of my favorite singers ever. Yep. Um, and the whole black gospel movement that came out of the you know, the late 19th century and right up to kind of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and the the civil rights protest movement. There's just so much um, beauty there that's come out of um, suffering and mm. out of enslavement and out of degradation of the human spirit and the human soul. Yet there's such a optimism and hope and beauty that they that these beautiful people bring forth. And I just find it so so inspiring um and it really helps to put things in perspective for me about my about my own life and some of the the horrible things that i've been through perhaps you know mm-hmm. um but blind willie johnson he's one of my all-time favorite songwriters uh and performers ever um for listeners that aren't don't know who blind willie johnson was he was around in the 20s and 30s and he was a um he was obviously blind uh he's his mother, I believe, um, uh, threw hot water in his eyes, or at least that's kind of the mythology about it, that his mother and father were having like a domestic um, uh, kind of fight and he was trying to protect his mother and he got um, boiling water thrown in his eyes. At least that's what kind of one of the stories. Anyway, there's a lot of stories about it. Um, And he used to sing on street corners with his wife, you know, songs like John the Revelator, um, Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground, which is one of my all-time favourite songs. It's kind of an instrumental piece and he kind of does this beautiful singing and it's been used in a lot of films over the years. And it's him um, imagining himself standing before the foot of the crucifixion and this is what he would sing as Christ is kind of dying and letting go of his spirit to Mm. the Father. And I find it um deeply deeply moving and 
um, to me, it's the pinnacle of what you can really achieve, I think, as a musician. Um, because I think for me, music is truly a spiritual and religious um, experience and art form. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, for me on stage, like I was saying before, it is about being completely taken over by the energy and the spirit of the music. Mm. And I think for me, going back to my childhood, I mean, growing up in Creswick, I mean, I used to go to Mass every Sunday. Uh, I was brought up an Irish Catholic, and that's a huge part of my story, you know. Mm. Um, and the idea of being a preacher, for me, that was the first thing I wanted to be when I was a kid. I wanted to be a priest um, when I was like four or five years old. Um, and I think that's always going to be a part of who I am as a person and how I go about my business. You know, um, I try and I try really hard in my life to um, live out the gospel in the best way that I can and in the very human and imperfect way that I can. Uh, I fail every day. Um, in every kind of way possible. Mm. Um, but, you know, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and you start a new day and you try and realign yourself to that to that compass, to that star, you know. Yeah. Um, and there was a period of time before, uh, out during the pandemic, where I was thinking about giving up music entirely and, and going down perhaps a more spiritual path in my, um, in my life. Um, but I realised that, music for me i do have a kind of a gift for it and a calling for it and mm. um that through music you can actually reach people um spiritually in a in a very profound and beautiful way and in a way i think that's perhaps um a bit more open to the modern consciousness you know uh, people going to a pub or a bar and you uh, talking about God and redemption and sin and uh, judgment and um, forgiveness and grace. Um, I think a lot of, I think every human person needs that in their life in one way yeah. or another, Aaron. Yeah, absolutely. Well, definitely some of the most modern uh, versions of, of church or gatherings now uh, always include uh, live music. Um, so, there's no doubt, mate, you've been blessed with uh, with something uh, as a musical journey. You said you're self-taught, and I think that's even kind of more special and raw and real that it is. Um, you're right. It's not perfect. But what is? What's perfection these days? Um, if you're happy with it and you're happy with the message and that's what you can get out, mate, it's, it's going to come out and, and deliver like that. And that's – you're right. You, you mentioned uh, I'm really looking forward to one of your gigs uh, into the future, um, coming out and having a look at seeing – uh, you perform live. Uh, just tell us a little bit quickly about just before we finish on on the rest of your band and um, you know how you've been able to grab some of these great musicians to to play along with you. Um, so on the record, um, uh, you've got the picture up here of the. So I've got I've got kind of two bands on the record. Um, I had uh, there's there's a little bit of me kind of getting a bit yeah, resistant. Yeah, I love that shot. Um, and um, so on the record, it's Simon Edwards on the drums and um, Adam Casey on bass, Katie Walsh on um, on backing vocals. And 
Ash Jones on violin and electric guitar by Henry Hugo. Um, as we went into the live band, um, some of the personnel changed. Um, Henry Hugo remained on the electric guitar and uh, Ash Jones remained on the violin. And I've been playing with Ash now quite a lot, doing some duo shows over the last couple of years. Ash is a very beautiful soul, um, gentle-hearted, very compassionate person who really is kind of an unsung um, legend of the the Melbourne underground scene in my in my view. And I think anyone that knows him would probably say the same thing. Um, Henry Hugo is an Argentinian um, fella who lived in Europe for a number of years, has his own band, Henry Hugo and the Kindred Souls. And um, he's been around the traps for a long time, played with a lot of different people like Hugo Race and stuff over the years. And um, he brings, I think Ash brings like a gypsy classical kind of vibe to his violin playing into the ensemble. Yep. It's almost got like a gypsy meets Warren Ellis kind of vibe to it. And um, Henry Hugo brings a more of a, uh, like a post-punk kind of Ennio Morricone-ish. It's like Roland Howard meets Ennio Morricone kind of sound to the ensemble, which I really love. Um, Maggie Williams is such a beautiful um, singer. I'm really blessed to have her backing me up. Um, I've always loved the early um, Leonard Cohen records and the lovely uh, ladies that he's had sing with him over the years to complement his very human voice, mm -hmm. um, perhaps not dissimilar to mine in some respects, <laughs> a very imperfect uh, human voice. But when you've got some angels singing with you, Mm. Um, it uh, elevates your humanity. So I'm very blessed to have her in the ensemble. Yeah. Um, Ian Chaplin, um, he's actually kind of a bit of a jazz uh, legend from the 90s. He was a saxophonist for a number of years um, and went on to great critical acclaim. And uh, he his first instrument was drums and he's Maggie's partner. And um, she kind of just did, said to him, well, you know, Matt's looking for a drummer. Would you be interested? And he's jumped on board and he brings a real um, kind of jazz touch to some of the drumming, uh, yep. which has been great. And um, Anthony Cornish on the bass, who has really become a very good friend of mine uh, over the last couple of years. He's a great recording engineer, producer. He's played in a lot of different bands over the years uh, with Eden and Icon and a bunch of kind of more goth, post-punk kind of bands over the years. And um, we go to all the Melbourne Demons games together because he's a rabid Demons supporter like myself. So me yes. and him and his son, uh, we're members and we go to the game together um, when the season's on. Yep. Um, so we've become really good mates. And I feel very blessed to play with some really great musicians, mate. It, um, mm. it makes my job a lot easier. Absolutely. Well, there's no doubt there was a spirit dragging us forward, mate, and it's uh, it's the one that seems to be from hell with the demons. So there we go, mate. I'm a fellow demon uh, as well. Oh, so are you? I've copped uh, plenty of ribbing along this uh, process, yeah. And we got to we got to do many shows uh, in the lead up to uh, 2021. So it was an exciting time. Um, not so luckily in the last couple of years, but we we got there. So I think we're not far away again. But well, soon we'll see, hey? So we might even see you at a Demons game. Yeah. Where do you – are you a member, mate? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So look forward to uh, getting along. I was an MCC member for years and kind of gave it up uh, oh, eventually. Um, and music kind of gripped me and, and took most of my Saturdays and Saturday nights uh, back again. So really enjoying uh, being part of uh, both the music scene and obviously uh, going through a, a, a bit of a glory period or a better period with, with the Melbourne Footy Club, that's for sure, than we well, all suffer. Hopefully, mate, hopefully. Yeah. And some of the recent stuff that's been coming out and I don't know, rumours and whatever, hopefully we're going to keep, keep it going, rolling for a couple of years. But two two um, straight sets in the finals, mate, was pretty disappointing after a granny. But, yeah, we are long, long-suffering demons, my friend. Hopefully we can turn that around. But the girls got it done and, sadly, the girls just got absolutely walloped uh, on the weekend. So hopefully they can turn it around uh, as were, well. And, were you there? No. No, I wasn't, but uh, saw the results, sadly. Yeah, I was there. That's why I've got, I've got so sunburned is because I was yeah. sitting in the sun at Princess Park. I was watching the game with, with Tony, right. actually, the main producer. So, yeah. Right. No, it was well, pretty yeah. disappointing game, mate. Absolutely. Cool comes down to a do or die now against Geelong, uh, I believe, girls. So, um, mm-hmm. all right, we're going to finish off with, with the last question, Matt, that we kind of asked most of us um, or guests, and it's the standard dinner party question you're, you're having a dinner party uh it's a table for six you obviously take up one of the seats uh these people can be living or dead for inspirations or friends whatever they you like them to be but i need five more um you can have anyone at this table who who would they be oh okay um that's a tough one and we never we never put these questions in front of artists we just let them uh kind of see who the who's going to grip them or grab them at this any one moment um can be anyone anyone that's ever existed okay um i'd like to have um gee wow so many people come to mind uh i'd like to have um uh judas iscariot yeah right um um, I think he'd be interesting to talk to. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to have uh, Saint Therese of Lisieux. Yeah. I'd like to have um, Maria Callas. Uh, um, gee, uh, two seats left. Two seats left. Um, uh, maybe. Um, Jim Steins. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One of the greatest in, in many in many aspects. Um oh gee. Um One more. One more. Oh look, maybe Johnny Cash. I think I'd yeah. like to meet John. I think that would be pretty cool. Yep. Well, or Caravaggio. Go. I'd love to have Caravaggio too. Right. Oh, we'll put them both. We'll bring them both. <laughs> there you go. We've rounded it up. We'll put an extra seat in for you, mate. Uh, thanks, mate. Look, thanks. Uh, we could talk for another hour easily, Matt. Um, it's been yeah. fantastic to connect to you. Uh, and I didn't know, mate, you're a fellow demon. So that, that makes it even more special uh, given given your name with the Holy Spirits. Uh, quite, a, quite a contrasting view, uh, no yeah. doubt. But... Uh, with every good comes comes a little bit of evil, uh, for sure. So um, hopefully the demons can get it done in 24. But 
Um, where can can anyone catch you playing anywhere before the new year or, or just shows into the new year now? No, play my last show on the weekend actually in Belgrove. Yep. Um, done, a, done a lot of shows this year. Yep. Um, played all around the state. Um, and But, yeah, I don't have anything booked yet. I'm going to do some recording over the next couple of months. Nice. Um, get this live album out that I was talking about, the Merry yep. Creek Tavern, and nice. um, move into next year and do some shows next year. So just keep... Keep yourself posted if you want to check it out. It's uh, facebook.com forward slash Matt Malone and the Holy Spirits or jump on Instagram and follow us on there, Matt Malone and the Holy Spirits. Um, And if you want to check out my radio program, Hello High Water Radio Show, every Tuesday from 8 till 10 p.m. You can listen online anywhere in the country or the world. Uh, A lot of people listen in from Melbourne. Um, Mm -hmm. So tune in on Tuesday nights. And... um, I just want to thanks, thank you again, Aaron, for your generosity and all the time you put into this program because I know it takes a lot of time. Just just culling these images that you've brought up, just putting the image behind you, just reading about the person, uh, listening to the record, all the things that you do. Um, you're doing a great service to the musical community, giving the opportunity for artists to speak. So thank you so much for your your help and your generosity and your beauty, Aaron. Thank you. Cheers, Matt. Really appreciate those kind words, mate. Uh, look forward to seeing you at a gig soon. Um, and most most importantly, someone just put up a – Peter, before, uh, any chance of Sydney being on the agenda? Um, can you bring this little little tour into state for next year? Oh, I'd love to go to Sydney. Um, I just don't know where to play, mate. Like every time I've played in Sydney, I've had a like a bad experience. It's different to Melbourne. It's like you they've got like a – a different policy about kind of pay to play. I don't know. Like if they give me a good venue yep. and they the pay's good, you know, acceptable at least. Yeah. Um, I would bring the band up there. But yeah, it's just a financial thing, really. Yeah, yeah. And who well, I don't know who the fuck's gonna turn up aside from Peter. <laughs> well, Peter, <laughs> um, we're putting it back to you, Peter, to if you can organize uh a good nice room with a hundred hundred of your best friends, mate, we'll uh Matt will yeah. definitely bring the band up. Uh, you find the well, venue, you find the people, um, book it out, mate, and uh, Matt's there. Put it that way. So there you yeah, go. No, the live the live shows, I've been getting such good responses. It's been amazing. Like people coming to shows and um, really overwhelmed. People saying, you know, like um, you guys are one of the best live bands in Melbourne. You guys should be playing the forum. You guys should be bigger than what you are. Just phenomenal performances. You know, I'm overwhelmed. It's like country meets heavy metal. It's so intense. Like I've heard so many great um, responses from people. There's been no lukewarm r- responses. Everyone's been really kind of it's been intense, which is yep. good. Yeah, we're going to put uh, you put in the comments a few a few uh, f- comments from the press uh, in general. Um, some great quotes there. So we're going to leave it to uh, to those comments to leave some of their powerful words in amongst uh, what you've been able to reviews and all sorts of things not only on the album but on, on part of your shows as well so um feel free to touch base with us again early in the new year um we'd love to have a chat to you again matt um Thanks, on mate. To talk about so look forward to having a chat i'd love to um maybe we could co- I'll come on sometime we'll have a chat about the demon season halfway through or something absolutely absolutely we'll, we'll talk how we're going pre-season i, I can always have a fellow I, I, this this show I do normally come uh, football season. We have a three or four other guys, and 
and they're all mad bombers. Uh, so we're going to uh, we're going to try and straighten up the ledger a little bit. Uh, but one one of our good friends, Dave Cosmo, is an absolute mad um, Elvis Presley fan who just recorded uh, a bit of album he plays uh, in the Sun Rising group as well. Um, and they also have just done, or he's just done a release at Sun Records, uh, a recording. So that's going to be an exciting chat. So we might even bring you in for that little chat about Elvis uh, early in yeah, the yeah. year. That sounds great, mate. Happy. Look forward to it. Thanks, Matt. Um, you've yeah, been... Go Demons, mate. Absolutely. You've been awesome uh, on episode 118 of So What's Been Happening. Um, I'd like to personally thank all of these amazing guests that I list up there now uh, that have joined us on this show and look forward to many more. So until then, uh, till tomorrow night, actually, we come back on with uh, St. Victoire. Uh, we look forward to having that chat tomorrow. So there you go. Over and out. Have a good one. See you soon. Thanks, Thanks mate. Mate.